Amen. Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we're continuing the series that we began two weeks ago. We took a break on Easter as we talked about the resurrection, but we're coming right back into our Paint the Town series where we're taking the colors of the wordless book. And as you saw on the uh, introductory video, we, uh, we have all these colors and you say, what is the wordless book? The wordless book is a tool that has been used in over the decades by Christians to be able to share their faith. Taking uh, these colors, these colors represent certain uh, theologies, certain truths that we find in scripture. And then we take these and we have apply that and we we share our faith effectively through using the colors of the wordless book. Two weeks ago, we talked about black, and we, we looked at Scripture and saw how uh, the Scripture talks about, how the Bible talks about our, our sin is, is, is black and how it's not good and how God, uh, has, has, how we've all sinned, how we've all messed up, how when we sin, it is met with the wrath of God. Today, we're going to look at two colors all in one. We're going to be looking at the red, which is the blood of Christ, and we're going to be looking at white, which cleanses us. The the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all sin. And so we're going to be talking about several different things about the blood of Jesus Christ here this morning. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word. We'll start in Ephesians 1, and then we'll be going throughout uh, several other passages in the New Testament this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 7, Paul writes, In him, or in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or our sins according to the riches of his grace. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, Lord, as we speak from your, your, your Bible to us, your scripture, as, as you have written to us, as you are calling out to us, and as we talk about the blood of Jesus today, Father, I pray that we'll be attuned, our hearts will be attuned to hear what you would have to say to us today. We ask these things in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Please be seated. Five things we see about the power of the blood of Jesus Christ today. Number one, we see that the blood, the power is converting power. The converting power of the blood of Jesus Christ. We, we call this redemption. Redemption. The word redemption means to buy out. So many people today are in financial debt. They're, they're in financial bondage. And Americans are more in debt right now than ever in the history of our country. Did you know that? The statistics show that 85% of Americans are in extreme financial debt. 85% of Americans are in extreme financial debt. In fact, consumers, American consumers, if you, if you put all of our debt as consumers together, it racks up to $12 trillion. Now, that's not speaking of the national debt. You know, the national debt where, where the government goes and buys a $500 hammer you know, the, the national debt, the national debt is $19 trillion. But, but our debt with mortgage and, and, and student loans and credit card debt, our debt is $12 trillion when it's all combined. Now, the Bible says we have racked up another substantial debt. It's a debt that we cannot ever get out from under. It is a, a debt that, that, that we all have a part into, we personally have paid in to this debt, but you cannot file bankruptcy for the debt that the Bible says. And of course, we're talking about sin. No amount of money can pay off the sin debt. No amount of property can you sell to pay off the sin debt. No amount of good that you can do can pay off your debt and my debt for sin. The passage we just read tells us the good news though. 
It tells us that despite our sin, the fact that Romans 3.23 tells us for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, in spite of our sin, God decided to do something about it. Despite the fact that we cannot do it ourselves, God stepped in and he did it for us. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, the passage we just read, in Christ we have redemption through his blood. The purchase was made through the blood of Christ. You see, God bought us out of debt through the blood of Jesus. Now, if you're like most Americans, you've got some sort of debt. You owe something, either a car or a house or student loans, you you have debt. Let me ask you something. If you are like these 85% of Americans that are in extreme debt, or maybe maybe you don't have extreme debt, but you got some type of debt, what would you do if, if the monopoly man comes to you and he says, you know what? I want to do something for you. I don't even know you. All you've done, I mean, we're we're just playing Monopoly, but I I want to give you some real money. In fact, I'm going to write you a check, and it's going to cover every penny of your personal debt. What are you going to say? Well, let me pray about it. No way. You're going to say, yes, give me the check right now. Make it out to Wesley James Baldwin in the amount of, and don't use Monopoly money. You see, when we have someone who says we would just want to do that, you see, that's, that's not going to happen. Who in the world, who in the world would come and pay my debt for me for no purpose at all? I I didn't do anything. He just chose to pay off my debt? Well, dear friend, that's what God did for you and what God did for me. We did nothing. All of our righteousness are like filthy rags to God, Isaiah says. We, We cannot muster anything good among ourselves, but God decided, God chose, despite of our wickedness, despite of our sin, God chose to send his son to die on that cross, his blood, the Bible says his blood, Ephesians 1, 7, in him, in Christ, we have redemption. He purchased us. He bought out our debt. He bought us out through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Through the blood of Christ, our sins are atoned for. Our sins can be paid for. Not only is the blood of Jesus converting power, but it's also covering power. It's covering power. Turn over in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. I want you to turn there in your Bible because I want you to see a word that that many of us as Christians, we we, we see this word and we, 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 we get concerned because we don't really understand what this word is. We're talking about a lot of big words today, and I want to break them down. Uh, redemption means to buy out. We just saw that. We find another big word here in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Let's see what it says. Paul writes, whom God put forward as a propitiation. What in the world is a propitiation? Underline that word in your Bible. It's a very important word, propitiation, whom God put forward as a propitiation, notice how, by his blood to be received by faith. That word propitiation in the margins of your Bible, if you have a neighbor's Bible, don't write in your neighbor's Bible without their permission, but if it's your Bible, write down in the margins of your Bible, right above that word, right below that word, right beside that word, write the word satisfaction, satisfaction. That's what propitiation means. It means to satisfy 
It means to satisfy. We're told in this passage in Romans that Jesus' blood is our propitiation. It is the satisfaction. Now here is a question. What does the blood of Jesus satisfy? Why, why does something need to be satisfied? Remember what we said two weeks ago and what we said at the introduction of the message today. When we sin, our sin is met with the wrath of God. When we sin, before you came to know Christ and you sinned, your sin was met with the wrath of God. God hates sin. In fact, the Bible says that he is of such pure and holy eyes that he cannot even look upon sin. So the wrath of God. The fury of God, the judgment of God burns strongly against all sin. Not just the little sins that we we say it's just a little white lie. No, God, he, he hates lies just as much as he hates murder. God looks at all sin and all sin is met with the wrath of God. And the Bible tells us, it's very clear, that every one of us has broken God's law. Every one of us has sinned. Now let's get to the really cool part about why the blood of Jesus is so important. We just read a moment ago that it's through the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood is our propitiation, is our satisfaction. uh, I told you that this word means satisfaction. We also said that, that what the blood of Jesus satisfies is the wrath of God. Are you following me? Anybody asleep, nudge your neighbor, make sure they're awake, because this is about to get really cool. You know how God... You know how God oftentimes, when, when he takes a, a, a very deep subject, something that, like the word propitiation, we, we don't just walk around in society today and throwing out propitiation, right? We don't, we don't tweet and hashtag propitiation. We, we don't use that word. We don't understand really the depth of that word. And so what God has done from the Old Testament through the New Testament is he's given us a picture. He's given us an illustration of what this idea of propitiation stands for. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. It's it's a visual sign. The the word propitiation in the Greek is the word halastrion. Halastrion. I, I tell you that. Because the same word halastrion, which means propitiation, halastrion also was translated as mercy seat. Mercy seat. It's the mercy seat of God. Now what is the mercy seat? The mercy seat is that part on the Ark of the Covenant where the blood was shed, right? Where the blood was poured out. It's described in Hebrews 9.5. We have this verse on the screen. I want you to see it. Above it is speaking of the Ark of the Covenant. Above it were the cherubim, the angels, that were, 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 uh, the wings were pushed toward each other. Of glory overshadowing the holastrion. Overshadowing the propitiation. Overshadowing the mercy seat. This verse is describing the Ark of the Covenant. Let me show you a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. This is the Ark of the Covenant, the the cherubim, the angels, their wings outspread. At the base where their feet are, it's all fashioned out of one piece of gold. And right there at the base, that is what's called the mercy seat. This is where the blood, once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take the blood of an innocent lamb, he would would slit his neck, he would catch the blood, and he would walk into the Holy of Holies with his hand, and he would splatter the blood on the mercy seat. Let me give you the picture. Here's Bible trivia. You ready for Bible trivia today? Inside that Ark of the Covenant, there are three items. What were they? Number one, the covenant, the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments were, were written and they were placed in that Ark. What was the purpose of the Ten Commandments? What did it show? 
It showed our sin, didn't it? It showed the fact that we are not able to live up to the standard that God would have us to live up on. So when that's placed in the covenant, it's a reminder that, that we cannot live up to that. What's the second thing that was in the Ark of the Covenant? The second thing was manna, right? The, the manna that God gave to the, the children of Israel, the Hebrews, as they were walking through the desert, walking toward the promised land, and, and God put the manna. What is the manna symbolic of? Well, manna is symbolic of the complaining of the people. They got tired of it. One, one writer said that manna was like a Krispy Kreme donut every day, free. How can you get tired of that? But sure enough, they did. And it was a sign of their complaining. The third article that was in that Ark of the Covenant was what? The staff of Aaron. What was that? What happened there? Well, in the book of Numbers, uh, there was a guy, there was a rebellion among the, the, uh, the Hebrews, and, and they came against Moses, and they came against Aaron. They said, you, you are trying to divide the people. And Moses is saying, no, I'm trying to lead you, but you're not letting me lead you. And there was a big revolt that happened, and, and God spoke to Moses. There was a, 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 a disease that began to spread through the people, and Aaron ran out, and, and he, he, he separated the, the sick people from the well people, and, and God just did some, some really neat things there. But he said to Moses, I want you to get a staff from each of the 12 tribes. And I want you to line them up in the tent of meeting. And so Moses did that. And, and as, he, as he lined up those staffs, Moses said to the people, God is going to tell us who the leader of Israel is by the one whose staff will flower. And so he lined them up. And sure enough, it was Aaron's staff that flowered. And this is me. This, he brings it out. And he says, you see, I'm telling you that God told us that, that we are the leaders. What does the staff of Aaron that flowered, what is that symbolic of? Again, it shows the sin of the people of Israel. Get the picture. Inside this Ark of the Covenant are three reminders of our sin. Three reminders of how we have broken God's heart how we've complained, how we've murdered, how we've lied. And right in the Ark of the Covenant, these, these three items are a reminder. Oh, but what's above that? What's that lid called? The halastrion, the mercy seat, the propitiation. I want you to catch the picture on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest, one man in all of Israel, one man, the high priest would take a lamb, an innocent lamb, a lamb without spot, a lamb without blemish. He would take his knife, he would cut his throat, he would catch the blood in the basin, and he would walk into the temple, into the holy place where he went every single day, where he worked. But then he walked through the curtain, the same curtain that was torn in two when Jesus rose from the dead from top to bottom. But he would move that curtain, he walked into a little 10 cubit by 10 cubit space called the Holy of Holies. He was only allowed to go in there one day a year, one time on this day he was allowed to go in. And all that was in this 10 cubit, this 10 foot by 10 foot space was that Ark of the Covenant. And he walked in and he took that blood and he poured it, he, he splattered it on that base, what's called the mercy seat. Get the picture, why? What is he covering? What did we say was inside the ark? Man's sin. What's he covering? Man's sin. How awesome is our God? 
he gives us this picture. And he says, I have done something for you through my son Jesus so much better than what I did on Yom Kippur. You see, that high priest, the writer of Hebrews, said he had to go in over and over, year after year after year. But the sacrifice of Jesus was once for all. And the blood that was shed on Calvary, the blood that Jesus poured out, that blood covers over all of our sin. Past, present, future, the lastrion. I want you to see this picture in the New Testament. Jesus is teaching and the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees and his disciples were around. And he, he was speaking of, of, of the, uh, the impure heart and how the, the Pharisees prayed. And he said, you pray for all the glory. You pray so that everybody hears you. And when you pray, you don't need to go out like the, like the, the Pharisees and the chief priests. They, they go out and they pray so everybody can hear them. They use these big words and so people are impressed. He said, you got your, your reward here. He said, but there was a publican, a tax collector. You know the story? He said there was a tax collector, and on one side of the street was the, 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 the Pharisees, and he was, he was looking around, and he was, he was praying these big words, these illustrative words, and, and trying to, to, to tell people how holy he was, how religious he was. But Jesus said on the other side of the street was this tax collector, this publican, and he was so convicted of his sin that the, Jesus said he could not even look. He looked down, and he beat his chest. Jesus said he beat his breast, and he said, Lord, be holastrion to me. Lord, be my propitiation to me. Lord, because of my sin, cover over my sin. Lord, be mercy seated toward me. Lord, be mercy, same word. Same word. Do you see the picture? Here we have the Ark of the Covenant full of man's sin and the blood covered over it. Here we have the tax collector who is crying out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner inside. He's full of sin. And he's saying, I need to be covered. I need to be covered. And now we find here in Romans 3 that the blood of Jesus Christ is our halastrion. It is our mercy seat. The blood of Jesus is our covering. It is what satisfies the wrath of God. How awesome is our God. Now some, some may say, well, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to try to do this myself. There's some who think, well, one day I'm going to stand in the presence of God. And listen, everybody's going to have to stand in the presence of God, right? We all have to give an account. Every one of us will have to give an account to God. And some may say, well, I, I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to tell God that I deserve heaven because I've been a good person. I've done good things. And you may want to try to take your merits before a holy God. And, 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 but listen, that person, that person will be met with the wrath of God. Like it says in Revelation 6, 17, for the great day of his wrath has come. Who shall be able to stand? You see, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That's a law that God made. No man can break that. The soul that sins shall die. 
When you step into the presence of God, you must come with your sins already covered. You must come with your sins already forgiven. You must come when you stand in the presence of God with your sins already atoned for. And I want you to know this morning, it takes innocent blood. It takes precious blood, untainted blood, sinless blood, the blood of the Son of God to atone for sins. What I'm telling you this morning is that scripture makes it abundantly clear that your way to peace with God is not through being a good person. Your way to the peace with God is through the blood of Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb of God. You see, his blood is our propitiation. His blood is our satisfaction. It's our covering. Number three, the first thing we saw was converting power, covering power. Number three, let's see the cleansing power. We find another big word, this word justification. Just turn the page over to Romans 5, 9 and see what the Bible says. Since therefore we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Cleansing power, justification. Justification is when God claims and and declares that we are not guilty. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are justified by the cross. It's a legal term. Justification is a positive term, but it's also a legal term. Despite all the evidence against us. Anybody here want to claim perfection? Anyone want to claim that you've never lied? That you've never taken anything that doesn't belong to you? No, we, we, we realize we're all guilty. But justification through the blood of Jesus, what that means is despite the fact of all the evidence that is against us, I don't need to prove to you that that you've done these things. You don't need to prove to me that I'm a sinner. I I, I get it. I am. Paul said, Paul, the greatest Christian alive who ever lived with the exception of Jesus, Paul said, I am the chief of sinners, right? We don't have to prove the fact that, that, that we're sinners. We know that we've sinned. But despite all of the evidence that is against us, God has ruled in our favor and said we are not guilty. This idea of justification in Scripture, it's it's positive. It, It means that we've reclaimed our righteousness in Christ. Our garments have been made pure. I'm justified. A lot of people define that word justification and they say it's just as if I had not sinned. That's a good way to remember justification, just as if I had not sinned, but it's so much more than that. It's it's in spite of my sin. It's despite of my sin. I am just before God. I am not guilty. I stand perfected in the blood of Christ. I stand purified in righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's cleansing power. We're made white by the blood of Christ because of the blood of Jesus. He no longer sees us as sinners or as enemies, but as children, innocent children. No longer are we guilty. Now, before we were saved, we were guilty of sin. We committed sin. We were culpable for it. We we owned it. We were guilty. But if you've been saved, you've been washed in the blood. God has justified you. He has cleansed you. Because of the red blood of Christ, you have been made white, spotless. The blood of Jesus is converting power, covering power, Cleansing power, number four, let's see the correcting power. Correcting power. Colossians chapter one, verse 20 says this, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus. Here's another big word, reconciliation. What does that mean? 
It means to resolve conflict between two parties. If you're trying to reconcile your marriage or reconcile a, a fight that you had with friends, what are you trying to do? You, 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 you're, you're trying to resolve conflict between two individuals. It means to make things right. The two parties involved here are us and God. Our problem goes all the way back to the first human beings, Adam and Eve. They messed up. Before they sinned, before the sin of Adam and Eve, everything was perfect, right? They, there was a great relationship with God. They, they, they spoke with God, and God spoke with them, and they, they walked around, and everything was good. But, but following their sin, now there exists a great gulf, a great chasm, a great canyon between us and God. And that, re, that relationship that was once perfect is now marred. Remember, God cannot look upon sin. We inherited sin from Adam. We inherited sin from Eve. You don't have to teach a little child, little innocent, precious child. You do not have to teach your child to say, no, mine, do you? That, that's, our, that's Elijah. He's almost two years old. That, that's our little two-year-old's favorite word now, mine, mine. No, son, these are the keys to the car. These are mine. And he goes, mine. You don't have to teach a child to, to, to be selfish. You have to teach a child to share, right? And, and we understand that sin is inherited, but we've also committed it. Now, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, after they sinned, we also understand, we, we see a, a principle in Scripture that becomes very clear. When there's sin that is, that, that, that is committed, blood must be shed to cover over that sin. Adam and Eve, immediately after they sinned, what did they realize? They realized they were naked, right? They, they realized that there were no clothes. They had always had no clothes, but now, now it's a bad thing. Now, now it's a bad thing. Now it's shameful. And so a sacrifice had to be made. The, the, the Bible's very clear. It says that God clothed them with the skins of an animal. Now, in order to have a skin of an animal, that animal had to die. That animal had to lose its life. Blood had to be shed. We, we see that God is making the first sacrifice, and we see the principle beginning there. And that principle carries on through the Old Testament all the way to Jesus. That blood must be shed to cover over sin. And, of course, the ultimate sacrifice was Jesus himself. This is why, in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus is called the second Adam. Do you know why he's called the second Adam? Because Jesus came to fix what the first Adam messed up. And, and so Jesus is the second Adam. It's through the blood of Christ that we have access in a relationship with God. Fifthly and finally, last point, the blood has conquering power. The blood has conquering power. This is sanctification. Hebrews 13, 12 says this. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Sanctification, it's, it's a word that means to be holy. It's our standing before God, our daily walk. Uh, the, the way we live the Christian life, we, we live the Christian life the same way we became a Christian, by grace through faith. You were saved by the blood, and you're sanctified by the blood. You were saved, and your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life through the blood of Christ. And the way you walk in life, the way you, the way you, you, you walk in his will is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Our daily victory is found in the blood of Jesus. That's where the power is. Don't you dare, Christian, 
Don't you dare, child of God, try to go against the devil by yourself. You will lose every single time. You stand up against him by yourself and you'll get trampled down. You'll get mowed over. You'll get beat up and left for dead. But oh, when you go against that old devil and the power and the blood and the name of Jesus Christ, watch out. When Jesus died on that cross, Satan was defeated. His power, his authority over mankind was defeated. Yet while Satan was vanquished, he did not vanish. Satan is still a, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is the accuser of the brethren. And so through the blood of Jesus we are saved, but also through the blood of Jesus we are sanctified, we are strengthened by the blood of Christ. Now I want you to write this passage down and you can read it when you get home. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 gives us the tool for us to be able to use when we come against the enemy, for us to grow. What is it that we, everything we've talked about now was in our past. If you're a believer, you've been covered. You've, you, you, all of these other things have happened to you in your past. What do we do today? How do we live today? How do I live for God today? What do I, how can I take this into my daily work and, and apply this to my life today? I've been saved, preacher, but how do I apply the blood today? This passage in Revelation tells us, Revelation 12, 11, it tells us how we overcome the devil, how we, how we conquer sin. You realize that even when you come to know Jesus Christ, you still sin, right? You still mess up. It's not impossible to say no, but we still succumb. How is it then that we walk in the light? How is it that we are to be holy as, as God is holy? How is it that we are to do these things that Scripture mandates? Revelation 12, 11, we conquer him. We overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Did you catch that? We overcome the enemy with the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So when the devil gets after you and he begins to tempt you or he begins to throw things at you and the devil comes against you, what are you to do? Well, according to scripture, you're to plead the blood of Jesus Christ. You're to give the old devil your testimony. Have you ever reminded the devil who you are in Jesus Christ? You remind him of his defeat at the cross. You tell him that you went to the foot of the cross. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you and you're no longer a, children, a child of darkness, but you are now a child of light. You have been in that empty tomb and you have seen that your Savior is not dead but alive. You remind him of your testimony. Your testimony. You know, growing up, Growing up as kids, we always talked about whose daddy was the baddest, right? My daddy can beat your daddy up. Growing up, you know, there's this kid, we, I, I remember the conversation that happened. One kid said, you know, my daddy, my daddy works for the power company. If it, he climbs up those poles, if it wasn't for my daddy, we wouldn't have electricity. Then another kid said, well, my, my daddy, my daddy knows karate. He could kill you with one pinky. He, he, he could take his pinky and just knock you down. Another kid chimed in and said, well, well my daddy's the mayor of the city. He, he, makes, he makes all the laws. Well, I, I threw the trump card. My daddy's the chief of police. He can arrest all of you and throw you all in jail. So there you go. There you go. When Satan comes against you and... He's trying to say he's this and he's that and you're this and you're that. You remind him how awesome your heavenly daddy is. 
You remind him of what your heavenly father did for you through the person of Jesus Christ there on that cross when he sent his son to live a life without sin and he died a death that we could not die and then he placed his son's body in that tomb, that tomb that had never stepped foot, death had never stepped foot. It was a brand new tomb, death had never touched it, it was never tainted, but it was only tainted for three days because after that he breathed life into his son and he came alive and that's why we don't have a dead savior but a savior who is alive. You remind Satan of that. That's why I say there's conquering power, conquering power in the name and the blood of Jesus Christ. We are overcomers. Because of the blood, we've been set apart. We've been sanctified. The things in your past, they have no hold on you. Satan is going to come and he's going to accuse you. He's going to say, remember when you did this, remember when you did that, remember how you used to live, remember this, remember this addiction, remember, remember this uh, thought, remember this action, remember when you did this. You remind him that the past is the past and the blood of Jesus has covered over that past. Yes, we will have to give an account for all of that. When, when the Bible says that God remembers no more, that doesn't mean that God has divine amnesia and he doesn't remember. What it means is that he does not hold that against our account anymore. The, the bank record is still there. The, the bank record of sin is still there. We will have to give an account. But when, when, when it says that he remembers it no more, God doesn't just say, oh, well, you've always been perfect. No. What it means, though, it's even more powerful than that. It's even more amazing than that. What God is going to do is he's going to see the record of sin. And Satan, who's the accuser of the brethren, is going to say, well, he lied here. He cheated here. He looked at porn here. He did this here. He did that there. But God is going to say, but the blood of my son covered over every bit of that sin. And I see it no more. I don't hold it against them anymore. Praise his name. Jesus said... So what do we do? How do you live this Christian life on a daily basis? Here's, here's the truth. In order to live, you must die. You know, that's what Scripture teaches us, doesn't it? Scripture teaches what, what you would think is the right answer is actually the wrong answer. Uh, Jesus taught this way, didn't he? Uh, you, you would think, if I want to be first, then I've got to be the best in everything. I've got to lie, I've got to cheat, I've got to steal, I've got to push people out of the way to get first. But Jesus said, if you want to be first, you've got to be what? Last. That's interesting. He said, if you want to be exalted, you must be humble. If you want to live, you've got to die. You see, daily, daily, when we wake up in the morning, when I wake up in the morning, before I even get out of the bed, I say, Lord, I am crucified with you. Crucify this old flesh. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Before I even roll out of bed in the mornings, I say, Lord, I, am, I, I, I crucify my flesh to the cross of Jesus again. In order for me to live for Christ, I must die to self. Make sense? In order for me to live for God, I must die to self. Be selfish desires must be put away for his selfless call on my life. Napoleon Bonaparte, this, this little short man who you've, you've heard of Napoleon Dynamite, but there was a real guy known as Napoleon Bonaparte. And Napoleon, he was a French conqueror who 
who his desire was to, to conquer the whole world, right? And his biggest defeat was at a place called Waterloo. And after he got defeated at Waterloo, which is just south of, of Brussels in present-day Belgium, he, he, he brought his forces back to France. He, he got his, 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 his uh, generals together, and he was trying to come up with a plan. But, but very soon, they, as they were looking at the map, they, they realized that after their defeat of Waterloo, they, for all practical purposes, their, their hopes and dreams for world domination was over. He had a map on the wall, and, and this is what was recorded. He was speaking to his generals, and, and there on that map were the British Isles, and, and he had put a red X. You see, the British Isles, uh, Great Britain and Ireland, this was Napoleon's ultimate prize, ultimate prize. But, but those in Great Britain and, and Ireland, they, uh, they were really the ones that, that turned the Battle of Waterloo. If you go back and read history the, of battles, it was, it was those from the British Isles that, that came in and, and helped to make sure and to assure the defeat of Napoleon at Waterloo. But Napoleon made a statement. He looked at that map and it had a big red, uh, he, he had outlined the British Isles in red, and he pointed at the map. He said, if it wasn't for that red spot, we would have conquered the world. I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? I can imagine Satan one day gathering the hordes after Calvary and the demon spirits there and the generals of hell. And Satan pointed that blood-drenched slope of Calvary and said, if it wasn't for that red spot, we would have conquered the world. If it wasn't for that blood, we would have conquered the world. Dear friend, so many churches have stopped talking about the blood. We've stopped singing about the blood. But listen, it's in the blood of Jesus where we find hope. It's in the blood of Jesus that we find victory. It's the blood of Jesus where, where we know and we believe and we can trust that God is going to help us to live this Christian life. Because of what Jesus has done for us, it's through the blood, the precious blood that washes us white as snow.